Hi, I'm Joe Lynch, director of such cinematic classics as Wrong Turn 2, Knights of Badastum, Everly, and of course the new film, Mayhem. And when I'm not masturbating to Sasquatch porn, I'm listening to Nightmare Junkhead. Ooh, it feels so good. in and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast a horror podcast that always appreciated the masters of the universe character fisto my name is greg d i'm genius mcgee and on today's episode we're throwing caution to the wind and we're going back to the swamp as we talk with one of our favorite genre directors mr adam green but before we get in that gang let me remind you we are part of the phenomenally frightening phantom podcast network phantom and you can find all of our past episodes, along with a host of other horrific horror podcasts, at downrightcreepy.com. Or if you're like me and you like to listen to us on the go, simply search for Nightmare Junkhead in your iTunes or SoundCloud app, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it will download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your Honey Island swamp hole. So this is going to be the first of what we are going to officially call our Panic Fest Dispatches. Mm-hmm. And this is basically in lieu of our if you will say, a regularly scheduled program. Right. It's kind of a clip show, but it's not because this is new stuff. So, And if you listen to our last episode, uh, which was our live one from the <laughs> Panic Film Festival, uh-huh. which was... A the lot. Game of Games. And I'm curious, uh, feedback on that, how it played as a podcast, because yeah. I'd like to say I'm confident it played well in person. But we're a little biased. Yeah. So... <laughs> So I'd like to hear how it played as a podcast uh, when you're walking your dog, when you're you know driving at, at going to work, what have right. you. Did you play along at home, what have you? But and if you did, what was your score? Yeah, how did you do? How did you do? Would you have gotten a prize at the end thanks right. to Rotten Reynolds Atomic Cotton? And since this is a take home test, you know honor system. <laughs> exactly. Show your work. Uh, but we did just experience uh, the sixth Panic Film Festival. It was so much fucking fun. Uh, like I said said after panic fest it was hard going back to like the, the real, real world yeah it was it was rough it was panic fest was amazing this year well here in the month of february we are going to be celebrating women in horror month with dedicated episodes to some of our favorites in women in horror mm-hmm. uh, especially here in the kansas city community uh, but we're going to be kind of peppering these particular episodes throughout uh, to as you said kind of off mic to kind of go off the success and momentum of the panic film fest yeah might, might as well get it out you know have some fun. Talk about the, how much fun we had. It's well, kind of unreal, the amount of fun we had. Well, actually, yeah. technically, this is the first festival that I didn't see as many films. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was due to what we were doing kind of behind the scenes, yeah. which is where these episodes are spawned from. I mean, even like last year when we did a lot of like the intros and hosting on some of them, we didn't see that. We we saw that didn't see that many. But this year we really didn't see that many. But what we saw was great. What we didn't get in um, quantity, we definitely got Getting in quality. quality. Yeah, and that's where this particular episode is born from. Uh, this particular dispatch um, and going back to Mr. Adam Green uh, was kind of a, a wonderful, wonderful weekend on many aspects. And I have Adam Green to thank for that. And yeah. this particular episode spawns from the screening of Victor Crowley. Yes. The, 
so much fun so nice it was fun twice right so we originally got to see this when he did his little rolling tour Mm -hmm. of victor crowley in kansas city we also had the opportunity to do the q a afterwards Mm -hmm. and we talked about it on our best of episode it was one of our favorite experiences and it's like well, how man can we can we replicate that again? The magic, the magic in the air? that happened, just the the stars aligning, and just a small but rabid crowd, you know, and so much fun. It was it was insane. Could we have topped it? Could it have got duplicated? Lightning in a bottle again? Yes, it did indeed strike yes, twice. Yes, it did. <laughs> well, again, one of my favorite experiences is seeing, and this is going to truck it, Victor Crowley in a crowded, just genre-loving, mm-hmm. rowdy crowd. Mm-hmm. People that hoop and holler at the gore, <laughs> the kills, all the things that make a hatchet film. At like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, like not even at night. At 2 o'clock in the afternoon, just, yeah, kills! It was great. Well, I think Panic, the Panic Film Festival kind of know how to cater to genre crowds. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad a lot of people got to see this because this was the, a lot of people missed out on that opportunity originally when it came through. Yeah. So the chance to see it again and again, see it with first timers uh-huh. was wonderful. And so this particular episode, we're going to be releasing this here. Uh, I believe it is on February 6th, whenever uh, Victor Crowley is going to be released, mm-hmm. unleashed. Upon the world. Yeah, so this is your opportunity, gang. You can buy it on Blu-ray. You can download it digitally, legally. Whatever you... If you're going to watch it, buy it. You know, rent it legally, buy it legally. Just don't fucking pirate it. I can't stress that enough. Otherwise, genius will come to your house. Well, because, like, this... What he did up until what happened was just an amazing feat in itself to make this new franchise movie without anybody knowing it like we said on the previous episode he blew harvest us and it was insane and up into the last fucking minute man and if you need uh, reference to that go and listen to the uh, the movie crypt episode that was recorded here live in kansas city mm-hmm. they talk about what happened that very day yeah it, and my hat's off to adam green for going on with the show in mm-hmm. lieu of the news that he got yeah because you want to talk about just deflating your sales after all that hard work to get it leaked by one of the press, not even not even one of the fans. The mm-hmm. fans were all extra hush hush about mm-hmm. it because they knew how important it was and how nobody likes to get fucking shit ruined like that. But yet one of the press went out and uh, fucked up. So this is your chance to make amends for someone's mistakes out there, mm-hmm. guys. Again, get out there, buy it, promote it, yeah. push it legally, legally, it, it's legally. Highly worth it. And oh, it is. So let's just go ahead and talk about just get it right out of the way. Spoilers. This is going to be a very spoiler centric. Because what we're going to do, even though we just talked about go buy it and don't fire it, we're going to spoil the shit out of it. But we want to talk about it, you know. And actually, we'll go ahead and we'll in the uh, show notes we'll post where we uh, forward to the Adam Green Q and A, which is going to follow our review of the film Mm -hmm. because we've been sitting on this movie for a long time. (laughs) Yeah, we've been wanting to talk about it for a minute. Back in October, (laughs) and so this is actually the fourth film of the franchise. So this is one that was again, as you mentioned, uh, filmed secretly and unleashed upon the 10th year anniversary of Hatchet, Mm -hmm. which goes to show you this is a franchise that has legs. Absolutely. And the fact that it came into surprise with people wanting it, but not knowing that they really wanted it that much, you know? And then for it to just pop out of nowhere and it to be this good. That's the secret. That's the thing that I was holding out hope because when I heard the news of it, I was like, oh my God, this is exciting. I'm, I'm anxious for it. But at the same let's hope time, it, let's hope it doesn't fuck it up. Yeah, but indeed. But then when you listen to the story about where it came from, and again, mm-hmm. listen to the Q and A, uh, there's 
just a heartwarming story, uh, the little connection that he, he and George A. Romero had, uh, which kind of was the spawn and origin of the film. And that's what, to me, works with this film is the reason. Why is it there? Give me yeah. a good reason to go back to the swamp. And ultimately, this is such a personal film yeah. from Adam Green. And this one reach, reaches out to on many different levels. Um, and that's why I think this one works as well, is it's not a cash grab. Mm-mm. It's, it's Listen, got, I mean, this is... It's got a lot of heart. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, it's personal and it shows. He, he really took his time and figured out what makes things work, why it should work, and why he should do it. And it shows. So and so, and the reason you go back to the swamp here, you guys, is this. The, what I love about the film is number one, you get a cast of some returning characters here. Number one, of course, Perry Shen coming back. Perry Shen is so fucking funny. The, the true connective tissue yeah. in the Hatchet franchise. Uh-huh. <laughs> if, if, if there's no Perry Shen, there's no. There's movie. no. He's he's as important to the franchise as Victor Crowley is now. And so his whole thing is he's basically shilling his book as a survivor <laughs> and there's nudity in this one. <laughs> oh yeah there's well that's the one thing if you're going to go into a, a hatchet film you're going to get the gratuitous nudity but let's just say <laughs> it's not what you think it's equal opportunity yes it's equal opportunity equal opportunity yes <laughs> and also plays so well in a crowded theater to get those reactions <laughs> You get some oohs, some ahs. <coughs> I don't know if you'd get any hooping and hollering or woo. Pro- probably not like, all right. <laughs> None of that. But the allure to get him to go back to the swamp initially is just to do a flyover. Mm-hmm. Almost like a Jurassic Park 3. Right. They just, you know, we're just going to do a little flyby. That's all we need. Just looking at all reflective. And, and he's tempted by the money because mm-hmm. who, who doesn't need it? And what I love about this also more than anything is the the kills are wonderful. We'll get to that and actually get we'll get into a little bit more on that Q&A. But for me, what makes or breaks a slasher film is if you care about the characters. Yeah. And you know what? I cared about them. You do. All, almost, almost all of them. You know, there was some where you're like, ha oh, you're fodder. But none of them were that bad. I mean, none of them were like, you didn't want, you really, I, you know what? I take it back. You didn't want any of them to die. You know, you really did care about their probably even from uh, Laura Ortiz in it. Oh, I have such a crush on her. I have she has such one of the best her. lines in this film yeah, she's, when she's re- rebuffing uh, that one guy's advances. I'm not going to give it away. I kind of want to because there's something magical about her voice saying that line. Think almost like an anti-doctor girlfriend. Right. Right. In terms of the appearance exactly. and the voice. Exactly. Exactly. Anti-Dr. Girlfriend. But I, I, there's just something about her. She, I, I have a huge crush on her. She was great in Chillerama. She was great in like all these other stuff. Wonderful but, in Holliston. Uh-huh, but. And then actually for me, one of the biggest surprises is the uh, appearance of Brian Quinn. From Impractical Jokers. Most people see, but I, for me, Brian Quinn is just BQ from Tell Him Steve Dave. Uh, I've been a listener since day one of that podcast. And so when they, when Impractical Jokers became big and he was part of that, he, you could actually, he get, you hear the, the, the chronicling of that tale in the podcast. It's really, it's fascinating to, to learn, but that's how I know him from. So that was amazing to see him on the big screen. Yeah. So I was like, oh shit, that's BQ. It was fun. It was exciting. And he's, he's good in it. Yeah, he is. He's surprisingly good in it. I was like, cause I was like, he was funny, but he had this pathos, especially with his wife played by Tiffany Shepis and Tiffany Shep is again just a little a genre icon in mm-hmm. there, and their connection, the their again, we're going to the Q and A, yeah, because they go into, but that is just so mean. What happens yeah. that particular scene and how that plays out? That that 
uh, like we said, spoilers, but her death was, that's the thing that you don't realize it. I go to a, a hatchet film to Victor Crowley to hoop and holler at the kills. Not for the feels. For the kills, not the feels. You know? I don't want that Christmas time playing right? but walking seemed, away from it. It it kind of worked, but it didn't it made you really like bummed, but it didn't then detach you because then like ten seconds later shit goes shit goes uh, crazy again. Well another shout out in terms of genre icons is Felissa Rose and Felicia Rose and she <laughs> She plays a pharmacy. Yes. <laughs> a pharmacist pose, posing as a publicist, I believe. But if you had a chance, if you guys are listeners of the Movie Crypt podcast uh, and their uh, 48-hour little marathon they do for Save a Yorkies, is the first year they did a Goonies uh, original script reading, mm-hmm. and she played Mrs. Fratelli. Owen! <laughs> Her interpretation of it, if you guys were lucky enough to listen to it because they haven't released it, it was incredible. Really? And it just shows you how funny she truly is. And I think she kind of played that a little bit in this role. Did she go full on Anne Ramsey? It's incredible. It's just, and it also with a, her a southern, like just the eastern accent mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. It's phenomenal. It's so good. <laughs> but when she shows up, that's wonderful. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, it's her, you know? <laughs> Genre icon. And then also just the fact that they start out with the Again, these these aspiring filmmakers, mm-hmm. and if you listen to the, the their almost their critique level of the Hollywood system, because if you go back to how Hatchet originally came to be, was their original plan that they laid out in the film? Yeah, this it was almost like um, a, ha- a Hatchet origin story, like a retelling of the ori- no, not a retelling, um, how it was made, a meta, a meta yes. take. Which also, this is the same year that we lost Wes Craven, so there's yeah. a very there's very much a Wes Craven film feel in this film as well mm-hmm. it, it, it's just how the way the way they interweave everything and make everything work it is just and let, let me ask you this in spoiler here because you can't have a victor crowley movie without victor crowley so mm-hmm. how he is resurrected and brought back how did you feel with that one i liked it, it i liked especially the fact that it was fucking ah, i don't want to go to give too much spoilers because this is easter eggs mm-hmm. it's an easter egg the way that it happens and even in the credits they talk they have like a little carolyn williams little, little cameo in there it's just chocked full and it works so well it, it's i really liked it as well yeah i liked the way that they they brought it up it it, it, it worked and it worked for this time that's just it. It was very relevant to the particular era we live in. Right. Just Ten years like later. Social media obsession. Yes. YouTube. What is out there? Is is it real if it's not on YouTube? If it's not <laughs> right? on social media. Pixar it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Victor Crowley was resurrected via hashtag for the most part. <laughs> by a meme. But I also I love I love the the, the his whole idea of being a repeater. Mm-hmm. Which Yeah, every time. And but I liked his Victor Crowley is almost taking so much pleasure in these kills now it's you can see it in his face you can tell that not only he, he's having fun but Kane Hodder's having fun at the same time because like he just looks he has this look like <laughs> you know did you miss me right it's great no there's uh, <laughs> some top-notch kills in there of which they are talked about in we talk about the main one and the mean one yeah and again you'll never look at a cell phone the same way again <laughs> And I've actually heard there's a, when Felissa and Kane, they've done a little Q&A at some of the screenings on the tour as well. And oh. they, get, they go into detail on that, which is just... Was it inspired by Sleepaway Camp? Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> oh, if we could have only recorded that initial Q&A, you guys, what you're missing out there on. Uh, but again, also, this film is funny. Yes. It's super funny. It is really funny. That intro scene, 
pulls away. And it's just all that ooey gooey snot. Just it's so good. And another shout out to podcast fave Jonah Ray. Yeah, from the new Mystery Science Theater. And the Nerdist. Yeah. Without his glasses, almost unrecognizable. No, the cast is good. The reason you're there is good. It's it's an earned. That's a thing. It feel it's earned. Yes. This is an earned sequel. Not a cash grab. It's made with heart. Made with feel. Made for the people that love the Hatchet franchise, but Mm -hmm. should that just love filmmaking? I think. Yeah. In terms of just stress, this is true do-it-yourself filmmaking. This is calling in favors from your film family. <laughs> this is what one of those films are, and this is just—it's a love letter to the genre. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we've been able to experience it in the theater not once, but twice with great crowds, people that appreciate these kind of films. Yes, absolutely. And the crowds—when we even said in the crowds, like, "All right, guys, don't leave." Because there's a stinger and it's so good. And let's just say yeah, that if you have to stay till the end, a la a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. But speaking of a Marvel movie, there's so many little Easter eggs from Adam Green films. Yeah. One of my favorite is on the talk show. Look at the little scroll, a little nod out there. A little, little digging, if you will. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. Amongst other things. But no, this is a film that, you know, even if you're seeing it in your in your home, turn it up loud. Turn it up super loud. And have fucking fun. And then play along our little Q&As if you were there in person. To uh-huh. let, you know, Adam, explain a few things here to you. And like we said earlier, go buy, go buy it. Because he is such a cool dude with a lot of cool heart. You know, and, and go through Aeriscope.com because you can actually get them autographed. Mm-hmm. And, and let me just tell you this this is the second time we've had a chance to meet adam and he's 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 the real deal yeah he is absolutely legit they say don't meet your idols your heroes this and that for me it's meeting because i try not to do that but they're just good genuine people and mm-hmm. that's refreshing in this day and age to meet people like that like-minded dudes that are just super talented yes and they hang out with us <laughs> what does that say of them we don't know i but, know right <laughs> but, but we're no. glad they do because that's they were just so cool. Just absolutely just, just down earth, humble, just regular Joes and just having fun with and the love of the genre. And it's it shows. And I'll say this. Uh, I am a supporter. I'm a Patreon of the Movie Crypt podcast. I'm proud to say that uh, I enjoy the commentaries. I just listened to their commentary track with the editor of John Wick 2 for John Wick 2. Ooh. And Joe Lynch threw in a funny farm reference of Yellow Dog. <laughs> and it was relevant, which just why I love these guys. So I, if you guys can, please support them. Um, I am on the Patreon where I get the commentary tracks. That in and of itself is worth it. They do live personal episodes for you guys. It's a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. Uh, we'll e- we'll even get to a movie crypt maybe a review as well. But check out their latest episode live from Kansas City. So um, until our next uh, Panic Fest dispatch, I uh, hope you guys enjoy the Q and A. All right. Well, good afternoon to all of you Crowley crazies in the audience, you guys. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we host the Nerds of Nostalgia. And the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast. And it is our pleasure to welcome back to the stage, guys. He is the co-host of the Movie Crypt Podcast, which are recording and performing live tonight at 7 o'clock. If you are all not out there, Victor Crowley will come a-knockin'. Mm-hmm. He is the director of such genre faves as Frozen and Digging Up the Marrow. And Arwen's Fancy Dinner. <laughs> Welcome back to the stage, you guys. Adam, Adam Green! Green! Yes! Thank you. 
Well, uh, you lived up to it. That was fucking fun, man. Yeah, the, uh, out of all the places on the tour, uh, at least for all the cities I got to be at, which was most of them, it was uh, New Orleans on Halloween night, which there was no way we were going to beat that. Were people there? Was anyone there for that? Uh, oh, wow. And then um, my, the best part of the New Orleans Halloween night screening was, you know, we, the tour merchandise that we were selling, there was like... Uh, it was exclusive just for the tour dates. It was like Victor Crowley's skull, the, uh, the actual hatchet, the doll, the book. Uh, we actually wrote the book, I Survivor, which comes out uh, late, late winter. Um, anyway, at, so we had just the prototypes with us because they're all handmade. And I was going to give away the hatchet. So I'm like, who thinks they came the furthest? And this woman raises her hand and she's like so confident. And she says the name of some city, I don't know what it is, but the audience just starts laughing. And I'm like, well, where is that? And she's like, oh, it, it's a good 25 minutes away. <laughs> I'm like, anybody think they got that beat? And this other woman's like, Norway. <laughs> Norway won. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, New Orleans, uh, Salem, and Kansas City uh, by far. And uh, you guys were fucking great yet again. Uh, so thank you, thank you. So I've got to ask really quickly, um, that post-credit stinger right there. Oh hell yeah! Was that always <laughs> in the script? Was that something that's been there from day one? Because the, that first reaction that in October just blew everyone. And again, seeing people react to that. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, the incredible thing is that this was the first screening where I forgot to say in the very beginning, uh, the rest of the world is not going to see this for a while. Do not post anything about it. Don't post spoilers. If you want to review it and say you loved it or you hated it, that's fine. But don't say what happened because if, if you were an actual critic, you would know you don't need to write beat by beat everything that happens in the fucking movie. Just give your opinion. Uh, but I asked everybody to please not let that out. And not a single fan around the world who has seen the movie since August until now, we're only 10 days away from release right now, nobody has spoiled that. So uh, unfortunately, there were a few people that made it out before I said this, so hopefully they're not writing to Twitter, <laughs> like tweeting Danielle, being like, holy shit, we're so psyched to see you're still alive. Um, but yes, that was always part of the plan. Now the first three movies, like I said in the beginning, they were always meant to be one film, and it's one storyline. So that's why like the first one is much funnier than the other two. It progressively gets darker and darker, and the third one was the big action-packed gunfire and explosions and all that stuff. And this time I got to sort of hit the reset button a little bit. Even though it is a sequel, it's 10 years later and it's starting over again. And so in order to change things up and make it different, I needed Mary Beth to sit this one out. And uh, Danielle was not thrilled about it. <laughs> but when I explained why and what I'm going to do, then she completely understood. But we carried that so far where, like, at Monster Palooza in Burbank, the cast of this was there doing a panel and signing. And Danielle was also at that convention. And we just ignored each other to the point that she walked by the table and just kind of shook her head. And people saw it and they were like, oh shit. Like, so no one, just like no one knew the movie was coming, nobody saw that coming. And I even say, if you've heard the commentary on three, that she's dead. Because she was, to me. I mean, how do you get impaled through, spoiler if you haven't seen three, <laughs> impaled through a tree and walk away from that? I mean, as you saw, she's got a limp. But uh, I thought she was dead. And because again, I never planned on making more of them. And then, but the fans would not have it. And, one of my favorite things was there was a message board 
where people were debating, did, do you think Mary Beth survived or not? Because there's the hard cut to black that we always do. And then we came back for one final gasp. Now to me, that was her, that was showing, yes, she's dead, her final breath. But the theories were everything from that was showing that she is still alive to Victor Crowley jumped into her body and now she is Victor Crowley. <laughs> and finally somebody wrote in, if you listen to the commentary, Adam Green says she's dead. And someone wrote, that, someone writes, that doesn't mean shit. <laughs> so as George had said to me, at a certain point, uh, something you created can become much bigger than you or what you think. But I listened, and uh, the fans spoke, and so, of course, Mary Beth is still alive. But now that I changed it, even just in the way that Victor Crowley was brought back, um, I can get him out of the swamp in the next one, which is, because now he's, he's coming after her. So things are gonna be very different. And I just don't wanna keep making the same exact movie over and over again. And that was also the purpose for the airplane in this one, because we've seen the swamp, we've seen the inside of his house, we've seen the shed, and because of the mythology, that's where he lives. It's an island, and he comes back every night in the same shape he was in the night he died, and no matter what you do to him, once the sun goes down the next night, he's gonna come back. But in the third one, he was reunited with his father, the ashes on him, he melted away, he understood that he was dead. It's a very sad moment in the third one where he's looking at the urn and you actually see him speak on camera. It's the only time he does where he says, Daddy. Uh, little insider thing, that's me saying daddy. Uh, Victor Crowley's voice is part Kane, part me, and then uh, part Kane's son, Jace, back when he was 10, I think. Because if you listen really closely in the daddies, you can hear a little, little boy's voice, there's a child's voice mixed into it. And then there's sea lions and tigers and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, but, and what you just saw is not actually the final movie. So when you get the Blu-ray or DVD in 10 days, you'll see it actually sounds much, much better, especially his voice. This is just where we were on August 22nd at 10 a.m. when we had to hit output and, and make it. But uh, yeah, so that was the, the purpose of that final stinger. So Mary Beth is still alive. And if we get to make more, uh, I think you'll be really happy with where it's going to go. Well, speaking of Daniel Harris and the other one, and the, the stinger on this one, uh, this movie is just filled with like a lot of great character actors. What was it like working with like Felicia Rose and Tiffany Shepis? And when you did, were you like, so Felicia, I think I'm going to do something to you. <laughs> you know, it's these movies are sort of known for having a all-star horror cast each time and not only as cameos. Uh, I, I, one of the things I can't stand about our industry is that if you become well-known for something, especially in the horror genre, uh, you're so typecast as that person or that thing for so long. So many people, until I kind of came along, even knew that Kane Hodder was as funny as he is. And I mean, from Holliston to, uh, to <laughs> the Dyer Van Frankenstein, um, I've had him do love scenes, comedy, dancing, all kinds of stuff. So after the first Hatchet came out, every convention that I would appear at would become like a kind of a receiving line of the other appearing celebrities being like, all right, how do I, how do I get in on this? Like, what, what do I got to do? And uh, Felissa and I had just become friends. But I think everyone knows, like, I'll, I'll tap them in when it's the right part. And because uh, a lot of people are always like, how come no Bill Mosley yet? How come, no, like, it's, it's coming. <laughs> um, 
But Felissa, whenever she tells stories about her uh, childhood agent, that is her agent. Like, that's how her agent spoke. That's the whole thing. <laughs> so that was what I based the character on. So almost all but, all but four roles were written for the people that you saw playing them, which I think is why they shine, because they were tailor-made for them. Um, but Felissa, when I called her, because remember, this was a secret. So I would call each person, invite them to Aeriscope, and then I would explain what I was doing after they had signed a non-disclosure agreement. And when I told her that I wrote a part for her, first she started crying, but then when I said what it actually was, she literally <laughs> fell to her knees because she's such a fan of this and she, she couldn't breathe. And then uh, she said, can I, can I tell my husband? I'm like, yes, you can tell your husband. <laughs> Just nobody else. And so we're driving to go do the movie crypt, which at the time we were still recording somewhere else, not at our studio. And in the rearview mirror, I'm looking and she's sobbing in the car and all I can see is... <laughs> um, but when she saw the way she dies, she was so excited because it's, it's always been trying... With the first one, sort of the pinnacle moment was Mrs. Permatio getting her face ripped in half. Yep. And I think... With Hatchet 2, between the, the chainsaw double kill, the, the curbing, uh, Tony Todd getting torn out of his skin and still being alive, I, I was like, yo, we definitely beat Mrs. Primatio. And the fans are always like, still haven't beat Mrs. Primatio. Fuck. And then the third one, I wrote, I produced, I was there every day, especially through post and editing. I mean, I might as well have taken a directing credit on it, but I wasn't directing on set, you know, I was there, but I was writing season two of Holliston and this thing, Killer Pizza. So I was supposed to take a complete backseat on three, but through circumstance wound up not. But uh, there were some deaths in there that I think should have been uh, good enough to rival that. And um, so with this one, I'm like, all right, like what have I not seen before? And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unless there's a special like you porn category right. for that, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because if you're gonna fist somebody, you can usually only get like up to. <laughs> not, not unless you're Victor Crowley. No. Right? Uh, so, but what's interesting about that kill was, uh, well, there's, God, there's so much, but because we have uh, an abbreviated amount of time here for this, uh, the distributor that was one of two moments they went after immediately that they they wanted out. And I was just like, "Are you? this is going to be like the moment of this movie that everyone's going to talk about. And can, how, do you not see that? And they were like, it's not that we don't like it. It's that uh, their reasoning was it's a sensitive climate right now. And, man, and it's only gotten more sensitive since this conversation happened. You got to remember, this was written well over two years ago. And they just said they were afraid that like, women's rights groups and like the Me Too movement or something would just be so offended. And I'm like, why? And they said, because you can't rape a woman with her own arm. <laughs> and I'm like, where are you getting rape? Like, there's nothing sexual about this. It's a cartoon. Like, it's, you, you, you know you can't really do that, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you could get it up to the elbow at best. And uh, so they wanted it out. And then the yeah. tour started, and every night that was the kill, and that was the kill, and they still didn't really care. But then in Toronto, it won four, the movie won four awards, all based around that kill. It was best, uh, best, make, best practical effects, best kill, uh, and it, I think they described it as arm goes inside or something like that. We called it ultimate fisting, 
on, <laughs> on set. Um, and then it was best uh, monster, or best villain, and I don't remember what the other one was. But, uh, but then they couldn't take it out. Um, they did, however, continue to still go after the other thing that they have a problem with, which is the bookstore and the penis. And that, it's not just because I think little penises are funny or whatever, it's that uh, it's, these movies have always celebrated the tropes of the 80s slasher movies. All the stuff is always in there and we just have as much fun with it as possible. But I really did, and remember, again, this was written a long time ago, um, over that it's always gratuitous female nudity. And so that was what that was. It was a statement because people com have complained about it for years. Oh, it's always the boobs. It's always women that are getting naked. And I'm like, all right, here you go. <laughs> Is this what you wanted? <laughs> when we tested it, we, I always try to test movies uh, if it's not going to be like the full-on testing thing, which that's a story for another day, um, I try to show people who I think will not like it because you're not going to gain anything by showing somebody who's a fan of this because they're going to tell you how much they liked it or they enjoyed it. You got nothing out of testing it. So I purposely try to show people who don't like this type of thing, who don't maybe don't have a sense of humor, and, um, <clears throat> and who I don't personally know. So uh, my editor... Matt Latham, he invited a group together, and uh, they were just, they were great. They were all very insightful. They were all editors themselves, writers, directors. I was, a, I couldn't have asked for a better room, except, uh, oh, sorry, I'm pinning that one. The, um, <clears throat> with the nudity, uh, as soon as uh, the girl, her name's Callie, when she lifted her shirt, the women in the testing group all, I mean, not just rolling their eyes. I mean, their heads, like, ugh, ugh, ugh. <clears throat> And then the dick comes out. <laughs> and I literally went, huh? <clears throat> and they were all, afterwards, they were all, like, well played. Like, that was... <laughs> because inside, you're like, I want male nudity. Oh, wait, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't care how horny of a chick you are. No one likes a penis. And, uh... So, yeah, so I was really sad about that. And unfortunately, from what I'm told, there might be versions out there that don't have it in it. I don't know. I know that the physical media is the version you just saw. Only better. It looks and sounds better. But, uh, yeah, I guess it's, it's not. But the other thing that came out of that testing group, two different people sitting on opposite sides of the screening room uh, asked whatever happened to the girl that was pinned under the chairs and drowning. And I'm like, she drowned. And they're like, oh yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't get that. What? Oh, and I, no, I will never argue a no. Even if I don't agree with it, I just take it. It's like, all right, well, that's why we're doing this. Like, maybe we need to make it more clear somehow. Did everyone understand that Casey drowned? <laughs> So, yeah, testing can be uh, frozen. The, the best oh, wow, yeah. remark on the card was, bitch didn't even get a titty out. <laughs> <laughs> and fuckers at, uh, at Anchor Bay, when we were going over the testing score, they're like, did, um, did you maybe shoot something where maybe Emma got her breasts out? Did you, did you? Yeah, she's freezing to death on a fucking chairlift. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, testing is awful, awful. Because it's the same people that go every week because it's free. So, and they do it in Chatsworth, California, where we said if you're going to test Frozen, you need to test it somewhere where people ski or at least have seen snow. And they understand the activity 
no, Chatsworth. And, uh, and it's just these families. And they go, whatever it is, they go. And then they shit on it. And then the... <laughs> The um, conversation afterwards, the moderator, they keep about 20 people and they have like a conversation. And without, uh, without fail, it's, yo, you know, I got ideas, man. Like, I don't know why nobody's asking me for my ideas. Like, what's up? Like, I got ideas. <laughs> Bitch didn't even get a titty out. Like, <laughs> the most offensive thing you could write on a card. Just the general populace, man. You got to watch them. Um, you want to talk about a crowd reaction going from like an uproarious kill with Felissa to where you could have heard a pin drop when Shepis's character dies. I mean, that was just kudos to you for that, mm -hmm. but also fuck you, man. That was rough. <laughs> that was that hurt. And I, I come to Hatchet to laugh and have a good time. That cut That's me. A that, feel. that was a feels. <laughs> that was impressive. Um, not to get like too deep and stuff, uh, I know I spared you guys the tour introduction to this, but this was born out of me going through a really, really, really rat rough, terrible time. And uh, so the point, I always put myself into these things as much as possible, even like when she makes fun of his band, Haddonfield is my band, it seemed most of you got the joke. Which by the way, at the merch table, there's only three vinyls left. Um, so yeah, uh, point is, uh, I, when I wrote that, um, I didn't realize till afterwards, like I hate that moment in the movie. It, I know it's effective, I'm, I'm glad it's in there, but it hurts. And uh, obviously this is my divorce movie, if you can't tell. And when I didn't know that though. And so I wrote it and I sent the first draft to Lynch. He was the first one to read it. And he was like, dude, holy shit, you're working out some issues. And I'm like, how so? And he's like, in the opening, a couple gets engaged, you literally chopped off her finger with the ring. And I'm like, no, I didn't. And then um, <laughs> it's all couples coming apart or trying to get together. Or, and one of my biggest, uh, I guess, scars out of all of it was that all the friends that I grew up with who got married and stuff, their, their children are now getting their learner's permits like they're starting to drive. All I ever wanted was kids, that's it. More than anything else in the world was to have children. And that ship feels like it sailed. And I know it didn't and I can, it's, my shit still works. Like it's still gonna happen. She didn't take that, she didn't get that. Um, and I got the dog, so that's all that matters. But, I, um, but it's something I think about constantly and, I, and uh, it's my biggest fear that I won't have children. And that's what that was. Like the moment they find out they're having kids and she dies so terribly. But I also, again, like I said about changing it up, um, that's why the airplane thing, because it's not enough anymore, I, I didn't think, to just have it be Victor Crowley. The other three movies weren't scary. They were never supposed to be. There's no suspense in the first three. It's just comedy and then like crazy violence or action. So with this one, I really wanted to add tension to it. So I leaned on Frozen, really. It was like, all right, well, let's put them in a situation that's just unwinnable, and there is no right thing to do. So you either stay on the plane and drown, or you step outside and you die. Like, what are you going to do? Uh, and then you make it even worse when you introduce that there's a character who is pregnant, because um, then what? So uh, it's, I think it worked, and I like that it's unexpected, because um, if you can catch people off guard by, on the fourth one of something, uh, I think that at least you're trying. And that's the thing with these, it's this, like all the key players, it's the same people that made 
the first one, the second one, the third one. I don't think there's another franchise out there where the same people always come back for it, no matter how big they've gotten or what else they're doing. Uh, and that's why the budget doesn't matter. Whenever people ask, what was the budget? I'm like, well, I can tell you a number, but it doesn't really matter because the amount of favors that we call, we get, we get favors and things put into these that we could never afford. So what we spent and what it's worth are two completely different things. That makes sense. So you, you mentioned this is a cathartic film for you, not even no much on the personal side, but even like Hollywood, the idea that these kids, the, the image they have of once they make their feature film, they're gonna be in the system, they're gonna be attending these launch parties and everything. How much of that was you're just disgust with the Hollywood system the way it is now? Well, if you've ever seen, uh, if you've ever watched the behind the scenes on Hatchet One, it shows you how we got the movie made. And it's one of the things that people really like about that DVD and that Blu-ray because they normally they don't tell you that part. Even on an independent movie, they just sort of kind of go right into uh, production. And that's what you see. You never get to see post-production, which I understand because as footage wise, it's a lot of people sitting in a dark room for nine months. But uh, the way we got the first one financed, and you can try it at home. I don't think it will work anymore. But we basically, we made a mock trailer. And I don't think we were the first people to do it. I, I don't know specifically if someone else at that time who had effectively done it. I'm sure there's got to be a story out there. But what we did was it was Will Barrett, who is, was the DP on the first three, and he's a producer on this one, and Sarah Albert, who's the producer of all of them, uh, and myself. And we flew to New Orleans with a camcorder, and we went on a swamp tour, and we just hung off the side of it and got this shot of the camera moving along the, the surface of the swamp. And then when we got back to L.A., we had this little girl named Eleanor who was four years old just basically repeat after me or after Sarah and say the story of Victor Crowley. And then we added my voice on top of it being like, like that. And it was $8. And we put it online. And it, I think it just said coming soon. And then all the horror sites started picking up on it and being like, what is this? And people thought the movie had already been made. There were people claiming they had already seen it. And of course it sucked. <laughs> it was the worst movie ever. Uh, and that way, when we would meet with investors, you, know, you have your, your package, you got your script, you have your storyboards, you've got your, your whole business proposal showing how far it could go or what the worst case scenario was. Because with the original, we wanted 1.5 million to make it with, and that was what we ended up having for a budget. So we were trying to show, even if this sucks, if Blockbuster Video buys enough of them, you won't lose your money. And then to finish the meeting by saying, when you get home tonight, Google Victor Crowley or Hatchet, and you'll see it's already started. So do you want to get on this train or not? And sure enough, they'd Google it, and bloody disgusting, and Creature Corner, which was a site at the time, and um, Fangoria, and like everyone was talking about it. And so as an investor, it just makes you a little bit more excited and that you don't want someone else to get it. Because what if this does become a franchise? Which, look, you always hope for, but you never know. You have no idea what's gonna actually happen. So uh, the, the whole story for this, I know at some point there is going to be a documentary. I just keep holding them up because we're not done yet. So let's, let's hold off on that one. Last question, we're gonna wrap it up, but I've gotta ask this. As a fellow metalhead, how did your love of Shocker 
and Dangerous Toys bring about the final song we heard in the credits. I'm so glad you asked this. Okay, so <laughs> when I was in the thick of all the awful shit, and I, when I, I, I know I'm like kind of making light of it. it. It's not. Like, I'm very lucky that I'm still here. And uh, I saw one day on the computer that Dangerous Toys, who, does anybody know Dangerous Toys in this audience? All right, holy shit. Uh, they were one of my favorite bands growing up, and they were the first band I ever saw live. So to me, Jason McMaster, the singer, like, was a god, and he was like just as big as Steven Tyler and Mick Jagger as far as I was concerned, and everyone loved Dangerous Toys. They were gone about three minutes later after that show, but I always fucking loved them, and I saw that they were doing a reunion show in San Antonio, and I was like, God damn it, if I only lived in San Antonio. I'm the only person who ever said that. And, <laughs> and Lynch is sit, sitting 10 feet away. He's like, just go. And I'm like, well, I, I'm not just going to go. He's like, you have nothing to live for. Just go. <laughs> and so I bought a ticket, and I flew to San Antonio by myself, and I went to this club. It was maybe half full. And they came out, and they played, and it was fucking great. And halfway through... The set, Jason McMaster said, uh, anybody used to come see us here back in the day? And the whole crowd's cheering. He says, anybody come from further away? And a few of us raise our hands. And he starts speaking again, but then stops. And he's looking, and he goes, are you, are you Adam Green? And now, if you could have stopped time and showed me that when I was 14 at the Orpheum Theater in Boston on November 17, 1989, where they were playing with Torah Torah and LA Guns, I would have thought, like, oh my God, I'm going to be Steven Spielberg someday. <laughs> Jason McMaster knows who I am. Um, and uh, afterwards, we started talking online, and turns out he was a fan of what I did. I told him how that band was instrumental in my life and part of why I started a band. And um, Wes died, and that was a big part of why I did this. Wes, and then the pep talk from George, which sadly, George was supposed to be there the night that we did the unveiling, and he died 37 days before we unveiled the film. But point is, I was like, well, Demon Bell, that Dangerous Toys did for the Shocker soundtrack. Shocker is my favorite Wes Craven movie. I'm not saying it's his best, but it's my favorite. That song is the best song on the soundtrack. And I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if we did a sister song to that? So instead of uh, Demon Bell, and then in parentheses, The Ballad of Horace Pinker, let's do Hatchet, The Ballad of Victor Crowley. And so that's the song you heard. And uh, there's going to be a video uh, soon. So I've been <laughs> working on that. It's hard because we don't have much footage of Igniter, his new band. And so it's, uh, it's, it's been... Hard to put together, but it's almost there. So I also don't want to put out the video too soon because there's a lot of shit from the movie in the video. So you got to be careful with that. Are you going to make Kane Hodder dance in the video? Like, like... <laughs> See, that's the thing. Back in the day when there were budgets for videos and you could have like a concept and like do something really cool, that's kind of over now. So it's, you know, it's performance footage of, of the band and, and stuff from the movie. It's pretty basic, but it is still going to be cool just to have that out there. All right, awesome. so you, no, we, gotta, we do have to wrap it up because we've got uh, a screening of Mohawk with Ted Gagan and the, uh, yes. in attendance, you guys. But if you haven't had enough of Adam and Joe, you guys, guess what? They're going to be around here with the Movie Crypt podcast at mm -hmm. 7 o'clock over at the Vendor Pit of Misery as well. Yes, please come by and say hello. Uh, and we, we have the movies and stuff on Blu-ray, uh, well, whatever we have left at this point because uh, people have been over there. Uh, but please do come say hello. And again, we always sign and take pictures for free. That's never changed. So please come say hi. Give them up, you guys. Adam, Adam Green! Green! Thank you.